0: Let's take our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. But this is a text, I believe, that is just full with so much that we can glean from. And the title of the message this morning is, The Blind Will See. And this in reference, of course, to pro- prophecies surrounding Jesus. Now, of course, the Gospel of John, the theme of John is, of course, the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh. And... and um, and John, of course, said that he he wrote this 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 chapter or this this book so that we may believe. And his his aim was evangelistic. He wanted people to believe on Christ. And how many of you say, you know, that is the most important th- decision any person could ever make? Amen. Amen. So we're going to start reading in verse number 1. Our text today will be verses 1 through 12. If you're there in your Bible with me this morning, say, amen. Amen. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes, is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool, the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Chapter 8 ended with a climatic event. Jesus declared before the naysayers that before Abraham was, I am. He declared that he, in front of them, some 30 30 years old in, in the flesh, predated abraham and that he was the great i am god in the flesh the jews response is what would typically would be if someone said a statement like that it would have been viewed as blasphemous but of course you know jesus saying that he was in no way uh no way false in anything that he said he of course was declaring the truth about his identity But the response was to, the Bible says, to take up stones and to throw it at him. They were going to stone him. The Jews, the way that they would enact, of course, uh, um, the death penalty in their day was through stoning. The the Romans, of course, used crucifixion. And rightfully so, in the law, someone who was blasphemous, uh, that was the penalty set forth, to be stoned. But Jesus, of course... He is God and he, uh, he did something miraculous here. He, 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 hid himself in the midst of them. He, I believe he just, he disappeared or he, he closed their eyes for a moment and he showed his magnificent power, his supreme power. You see, Jesus was unfazed, unshaken, or not even disturbed at this almost deadly confrontation with these religious leaders. And it reminds us that Jesus ultimately, he's always in control. He's always cool, calm, and collected. I love this about him. And you know what? If we, his followers, are filled with his spirit, one of the fruits of the spirit should be peace, right? We should have peace in the midst of all chaos, and you know what? Even though I'm alarmed by the headlines, even though I am disturbed by the perversion, even though I do not like what's going on in this nation one bit, I have the peace of God in the midst of it. Do you? Jesus displays this. He was often reviled, but he never was ruffled. Spurgeon said that. One of the things to note about our Lord's character was the quiet, wonderful spirit by which he contained himself. Especially his marvelous calmness in the presence of those who insulted and slandered him. You know, the Bible talks about Stephen when he was being stoned. You remember? And it said, the first martyr of the church, he said, they looked upon him and his face was like that of an angel. He had perfect peace and what is, what was his words? You better stop throwing those stones at me. No, what was his words? Father. He said, God, don't lay this charge to them. And he looked up into heaven and he said, I see Jesus. I see him standing on the right hand of the throne and I believe Jesus was giving Stephen a standing ovation. And I want you to understand, in these days, what the, what the world needs to see from us is what was displayed in Jesus, the peace of God. Now, don't get me wrong. He, he was revolutionary. He ruffled feathers. He spoke the truth. He, he caused the, the established status quo to be challenged. And he's going to do it in this text, too. And we're not to be pacifists, in a sense. We're not to just uh, be Mr. Rogers all the time. There's a time to cry aloud. There's a time to not spare. There's a time to confront. There's a time to be bold. And I'm telling you, we are living in such times. And Jesus displayed this. But I want you to notice in verse 1, Jesus, he makes his way away from the temple, and now he's passing through. And the Bible says that he saw a man, a man that was born blind. And I want you to just think about that. Verse with me, I thought about this much this week, how Jesus passed by and saw this man in his suffering. This man didn't see him, but he saw this man. And Jesus is going to step into his suffering. I recognize that I'm preaching to a crowd this size and those who would watch online, who some right now you're in the midst of suffering. But I want you to know Jesus sees you right there he he wants to step into your suffering you know what we do oftentimes when people are going through it we we keep we keep them at distance because it's uncomfortable I, last week i got a call from a lady in the church a set in who's just suffering and you don't have words you, you, you we, we it's hard for us to try to comprehend or explain and she just asked me why why and i i don't have that answer and we're going to see Similar questions are being asked, and, and part of being human, in our experience, is to wonder when suffering, when difficulty, when death, when, when things take place that we, we never were prepared for, in a sense, we ask these questions. But I want to point our direction today away from why and point us to who. Who do we turn to in our suffering? I love when that song says, the first name that I call is Jesus. Let, let, let him not be our last resort, but our only, our first and only. But Jesus passes by, and uh, it reminded me this week, you know, I've heard people say this statement, you know, uh, uh, such and such found God. Oh, he went to church and he found religion or something of that nature. You've heard that statement, Right. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't find God, neither did you. God found us. He took the first step long before we were born. He first loved us. I love him because he first loved me. And Jesus loved this blind man. I want you to understand what this meant. This man being blind from birth, it meant that he was destitute he didn 't have any means to take care of himself, so this is why I believe he was in close proximity to the temple because he had to beg, he had to uh, ask for alms of those who would pass by and, and it, it would have been a, a life of poverty, a life of 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 being shunned. no one would have uh, asked. To marry this man, this man would have not had much by the way of, of, of means. And it would have been a tough life that he was living. And no doubt, he was in the midst of his suffering. But he is about to have an encounter with the God man, with, with Jesus that would change his life forever. I wish that everyone who's suffering, that there would be a point of relief. And, and we know for believers, we know ultimately there will be a point of, of, of relief. You know, sometimes we pray for healing, and sometimes God calls people home, right? But for a Christian, they have received their healing, right? Do we believe that? I'm saying, like, I just, I don't know about you, but I know there's, there's, there's times where I pray for healing, and God has saw fit not to answer that way, and it hurts, but I, I have to remind myself that, God, you are sovereign, you're in control and especially when the person is in Christ the bible talks about that it's precious to god the 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 dying of his saints you know in ecclesiastes it says we should cry when people are born and 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 laugh or and rejoice when they when they pass and and so i don't know about you but i already i'm already prepping my family do not cry at my funeral okay rejoice you know if i got another you know, 10 years or whatever, or or 50, I don't know. Just know that I'm in much better condition than I was here. And um, so we got to remember that. But anyhow, this man is going to encounter Jesus and he would receive his sight. But the greatest miracle that this man would receive would not be his sight. It would be the opening of his spiritual eyes to receive Christ as his Savior I want you to understand, this man. We're going to see it in the next few weeks because he received this sight. Because he professed Christ, he's going to uh, he's going to be shunned by a lot of people, by the establishment. Even his folks are going to be ashamed of him. They're not, <laughs> I mean, we're going to see all this, but I'm telling you, it is worth it. Some of you are in here today and your folks, you aren't invited anymore to the functions. You aren't necessarily uh, welcome at Thanksgiving anymore after the last few years because you didn't take the jab or you didn't bow to the the, the culture or you didn't uh, post the, the black square for BLM. Uh, I'm telling you, some of you, uh, for your alignment with Christ, you are under persecution. But I want you to understand something this morning. There is no one who sacrificed anything for Christ in this life who will not receive a hundredfold in this life and the next to come. I don't care uh, what you're going through. There's going to be greater rewards, I promise you. I'm telling you. So this man, Jesus steps into his his world and it will never be the same. I want you to see as we get into the text the disciples question. The disciples, of course, the twelve that followed Jesus, and and he uh, handpicked, of course, even Judas, the one who, be, who would betray him. And, and he, of course, is discipling these men for the time that they will, of course, lead the charge and when it comes to the gospel going forth and the church being established. And these men spent three and a half years up close and personal living with Christ, seeing his miracles being taught by him. And I imagine that as they walked foot on foot to most of Uh, of the the locations that they would go to, uh, that they would have many, many questions for Christ. How many of you would say, like, man, if if I could have a conversation with Jesus, the questions I would ask, I heard about a man who was talking to God, and this man was uh, asking God, God, what is a thousand years to you? And uh, God said, it's but a day. And he says, God, what is $10 million to you? He, he was like, it's, it's like a penny. And um, he said to God, Well, Lord, can I borrow a penny? <laughs> and God said, Just a second. Get it? He'd long be dead. <laughs> I know it's corny, but I don't want you to understand something. These men had an opportunity like no other people ever in the history of mankind. They got to walk with Jesus for an extended time. And from time to time, they'd ask questions. And this question was one that I think they they wanted more clarification, but they had already presumed something in, in the question, and And want you see verse number two, it says, And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, so teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now it's possible that these men, these disciples, some of them probably knew this blind man, or at least his stories, because they knew that he was born, born blind. He, he hadn't become blind later in life, but he, from his birth, he was blind. There's some parallels here. You know, we all are born blind. Spiritually blind. I read this quote, how the enemy, because when sin came into the world, we died spiritually, right? The day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, did they die physically? Absolutely not. But they died spiritually. Their spiritual eyes were, their, their soul, their, the, the eternal part of them became dead spiritually. And so the enemy does everything he can to keep us in that blindness. From birth, and um, there 's a lot of parallels here of sin and how it blinds us, and how we are we are un, incapable of understanding God or His word before we uh, come to christ and and um, this is what these men were um, of course asking questions about about this man 's physical ailment of being blind, and they pointed out. They assumed in the question that either it was this man who sinned or his parents. Now, this was a common teaching of their day by one of the one of the popular rabbis, that if someone is born with a deformity or a defect or a disease or something of that nature, that it was a result of sin. Either the parents or that individual. They believed that even a child could sin inside of the womb. You know, (laughs) And, uh, you know, they probably reference the story of Jacob and Esau, how they were fighting for, you know, priority and preeminence, even in the womb. So, uh, of course, we don't believe that. I don't believe that, you know, I know babies are sinners. Don't get me wrong. The moment they're born, it's, it, everything revolves around them. Some of you are that way still. <laughs> so you, you live in a, a world where everything revolves around you. Oh, boy, you know, getting married. And having kids really reveals that in, in all of us, right? <laughs> it reveals our selfishness, our bent towards having our way, and um anyhow, on that rabbit trail but <laughs> so they thought that this man or his parents would sinned, and I find this to be common even today within the church today. You see, we often like to debate about these vague uh these vague this, topics that we really don't have answers for, and it's easier for us to debate and discuss these types of subjects rather than meet the major needs in the lives of people who are suffering. You know what? Before the pandemic, you know, often we would go to, and Paul, you're right here, the the hospital homes, you know, and there was much fruit that came from the hospital homes. Many people gave their hearts to Christ, and and you'd go in there and those people would just be happy to talk to you, happy that someone is willing to go there and just, just sit with them for a while. And they'd be grateful for the, 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 the littlest things like crossword puzzles and and some socks to warm their feet and, and just, you know, just honestly just loving on them in their time of need, in their suffering, many of them. And a lot of, you know, we as Christians, we should be beating down the door for opportunities like that. But the truth is, we're so, like I said, wrapped up in ourselves. And we like to debate about what's this, what's that. And, you know, we we, we get on social media and we post and we think we're making a difference. And I'm telling you, Jesus is, is going to expose us today. You see, these disciples, instead of pointing this man, saying, hey, he's blind, he can't see Jesus, he doesn't know who's here. Instead of going to him, this blind man, and picking him up and saying, hey, let me bring you over to Jesus. I've seen him tell the ocean to stop moving. I've seen him walk on water. I've seen him raise the dead. Oh, he can touch your eyes. He can heal you. Instead of, uh, of us uh, pointing people to Jesus, we want to label them and debate on how they are broken like they are. When the truth is we're all broken. Oh yeah, you may have it all together on the outside, but I know because I know myself. We are broken. And the only thing that's good in us is Jesus. And the only reason why we're here today is because Jesus one day passed by you and stepped into your brokenness. I'm looking out in this crowd and there's people who are atheists, people who worship the devil, people who are, uh, are trafficked, people who are, who are living the life of the night. I'm telling you, but one day Jesus showed up in your suffering and he touched you or he sent someone to speak to you. And I'm telling you, that's what made the difference. And I'm telling you, we got to get back on mission. We've got to change our mindset. These disciples wanted to debate. and wanted to speculate. This version said this. It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenure of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive. And more practical, we should be bringing the bread of life to the starving multitudes. So these men, these disciples, they were going to blame this man's disability on a specific sin, either by him or his parents, and which is beyond any of our authority to assign things. You know, people... People are suffering, and I know there's people in this room you are suffering because of something that someone did to you. You didn't even do anything. I I know. I was hearing the testimony of a lady who was was abused by her uncle and and just went through through so much abuse and and, and neglect. and, And I'm just telling you, I know that in this room there are people who are suffering you're being tormented because of something that you had no part of and I understand that and I want you to understand something today Jesus didn't allow that but when Adam sinned, all of death and its deformities and its depravity and all of that came into the world and and God never intended for us to go through this level of suffering but I'm telling you when sin came into the world death by sin and all that comes with it and I want us to understand uh, people uh, often question, like, God, if you're good, why? Uh, why is all this suffering? Why is all this evil in the world? I want you to understand, just as sure as there is a God, there is a devil and his children. They're the children of the night. They're the children uh, who, who, who perform and, and do things. Sadly, we all were once one of these. And understand that sin always impacts those around us. And so Jesus hears this question and, and he's going to address it. I want you to see how Jesus addresses it. Look at verse number three. The rabbi's response, the teacher's response. Jesus answered, he said, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Him. I want you to see Jesus is going to take this opportunity to teach. This is a teaching moment and an opportunity for learning for his disciples. Often we as humans we seek rationale uh, to help us deal with the hard questions of suffering and evil. And, and like most confused humans, the disciples assume that the problem would be more tolerable for this man if if they or he could understand the cause. But that's not the truth. Just because we may understand the, you know, the cause of things does not help with the suffering necessarily. And, uh, Jesus is going to address this. He says neither. Neither did this man nor did his parents. Now certainly both of these parties, his parents and this man, they were sinners. They had committed sin at some point. But Jesus did not see their sin as a cause for this man's blindness. But I want you to see the second part of verse number three. He says, "But that the works of God should be revealed in him." And I struggled with that. I had to to reference some some commentaries, and because first thought came into my mind was, "Wow, did God make this man blind so that Jesus could come along and?" show his power through healing him. But I don't think that to be correct. I, I think it boils back to what I mentioned a moment ago, that disabilities and deformities and other things that happen, happen because of the the endemic, fallen world, right? But Jesus, in this case, in this man's case, is going to show up in that and going to perform something miraculous. He did not caused this man to suffer. But he was going to show up in it. And I'm thankful for a God who shows up in our difficult times. Anybody else? So Jesus is going to do a miracle. Now we know that there were other blind people around at that time and that they did not receive healing. But Jesus saw fit to do this for this man. And he did so uh, purposefully. He did it on the Sabbath day to, to annoy the religious leaders, I think to expose them. (laughs) I think part of, we're going to see in just a moment how he did it. He he did work on the Sabbath day to show them that they were, they were way off on what they were uh, putting extra burden on this, uh, this commandment to keep the Sabbath. And, and so Jesus tells the disciple, he answers this question, neither one of them, but but God is going to be glorified in this man's disability. A miracle will soon take place. I want you to see what Jesus says. Verse number four, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me. I want you to see also in verse number three, he says, but that the works of God. So I want you to see Jesus emphasizing that God is going to work the Greek word erga uh, he's he's going, like from ergonomic God was going to work in this man's tragedy he was going to get glory from this man's difficulty and he was going to be uh exalted through the miracle that he will perform i want you to understand why this miracle is very significant because no one in scripture prior to this had ever given sight to a man or a woman who was born blind this was a miracle that could only be uh, attested to or, or given credit to the Messiah it was prophesied that the Messiah would give sight to the blind the blind would see and Jesus is the only one who would open the eyes of the blind and I'm telling you this is exciting to me because I'm telling you there are some 800 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament and we see them all fulfilled except for a few and i want to tell you the few that are not fulfilled yet it deals with his second coming his return but everyone that dealt with his first uh, appearance has been fulfilled and this was prophetic this was uh was was the work of god to be on display that this man jesus would give sight to the blind i want you to understand This is significant in the life of this man, but also for generations after. People would know that Jesus stands alone, that there is only Jesus as God's chosen, anointed one. But I want you to see what Jesus says. Now, he's going to use this time as a teaching moment. Look at verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one could work do you guys sense the urgency that Jesus had at this time do you sense that he he had a focus he he, he understood that he could not waste any time that the time of his earthly ministry window was getting smaller and smaller now you got to understand something this is significant because Jesus being God, this is the first time in all in all of eternity that he in humanity at this state was limited by time, right, as I mentioned before in the joke that you know a thousand years is like a day with God, right but Jesus had the same twenty four hours that you and I have when he was on earth, and he required sleep like we do, so what we sleep what six to eight hours the average human and then you have The rest of your time and um so jesus understood his the sense of urgency to get to finish the work that he was sent to finish and he couldn't waste time i want you to notice something about jesus too he was a worker many times jesus the bible talks about that he in his humanity he he was tired right he would depart because he was weary. And when he came to the woman at the well, right, he was thirsty and he was tired because it was hot there in the Middle East. And he's walking. Anybody been so thirsty and, and you, you've been in the heat, the desert? Um, the other day, I was out in the front. <laughs> my, my four-year-old Elijah, right? He, he wants to learn. He wanted to learn how to ride his bike without training wheels. And so I'm running after him in a hundred-degree <laughs> temperature. <laughs> you know. And he learned very fast. Thank God, he's a fast learner. But I'm running up and down the street, you know, cause, and I'm just dying of thirst. And I'm just like, man, but he's like, one more time, daddy, one more time. And so, anybody ever bear <laughs> your soul thirsty? But Jesus understood physical uh, exertion. You know, the Bible talks about in ministry, if you're going to be, if you desire to be a minister, of, uh, the office of a pastor, that you desire a good work. It's work, labor. Um, And I'm telling you, Jesus was a worker. He was the model worker. But I want to ask you a question today. Are you and I, are we workers? Work in the context of ministry I'm talking about. I understand you go and you clock in for for, for whoever it is, Lockheed and, and, you know, the sheriff's department and you, you do what you have to do so you can make a living. But I'm telling I'm asking you the question, are, are you a laborer in the kingdom of God? What do you do with your time and your talents for God? Are, are you serving God? I've learned this when someone isn't serving God, if there's no outlet, then they will sit, they will soak and they will sour. I'm going to say it again. They will sit and they will soak and then they will sour. Uh, I'm telling you, the average Christian today in America, this is what they do. They walk into the doors of a church, they, they, they find their seat and they say, I'm here, serve me. Make sure that the temperature is right. Make sure that the nursery is clean. Make sure, and those things are important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, make sure that uh, you know most coffee. There's uh, co- churches. There's coffee in the lobby. There's a coffee shop on on on, on demand. Uh, make sure there's parking. Make sure there's this. Make sure the worship team is singing the type of worship that I want. Make sure that the preacher doesn't ruffle my feathers. Make sure he he doesn't say something that offends me. I'm telling you, uh, this is how uh, the American church ha- has has become. And I I heard the statistic in in seminary, and I think it's it's true to this day. Like, it says in most churches, 10 to 15% of the church do all the heavy lifting. While the others, the vast majority, just ride the pews. I'm here, now serve me, like I said. I know what some of you are thinking. I pay my ties. You can't sublet this work. You can't hire someone else to work, to serve on your behalf. Like I mentioned a moment ago, God wants your time, your talent, and a, a portion of your treasure. It's all his, but uh, it's, it's not how much do I give to God, it's how much do I keep of God's resources. And I'm telling you, uh, the problem today in many marriages, the problem today uh, is, is that you're so wrapped up in, in yourselves, you're not serving as a family, you're not serving other people, and so you're sitting, you Soaking and you're souring and I'm telling you today that that should not be so. Jesus was a worker. Are you? I'm telling you, if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I'd be serving in this church. You signed me up when I first came here. I didn't want. I, I needed a season of rest, but pretty soon, pastor's like, "Hey, I want you to help in this and this and this and this and." This. and Sure, sure. All right. You know, I came on board about a year after being here, and and uh, I didn't apply for the job. It just it just kind of fell in my lap, and and actually, I came on as a children's ministry director. I was like, oh, this is the piece of cake. I, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one who's going to get the complaints. I get to just serve, you know, over here, and I, I loved it. Honestly, I would have never left. <laughs> Give me kids any day of the week. I I'll be nice enough to the parents but give me the kids. <laughs> and then things change and it's like then the church grew and then okay, <laughs> all right lord. But anyhow, we should be laborers. What did Jesus pray for? He said, "Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest." The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I'm thankful we do have a lot of laborers in this church. I see you over here, David and Nancy. I'm going to call you out. called you out in the first service, too. <laughs> but David and Nancy, uh, they, they have a barbershop, and I, I'm going to put a plug for it right now. If you guys need a haircut, a good one, go see David and Nancy over at Ira's. Yes. <laughs> and um, But let me tell you, I go there every two weeks, and when I go in there, usually— most of the time, you know Nancy or david are they're introducing me to some person who needs to know about jesus they 're working while they're working and and I promise you i've seen i 've seen the fruit of it a few months ago. She invited a friend of hers, a young lady I think she she 's a beautician or she does lashes or something and she came on Wednesday night. you remember this? She came and she heard the message and we met in my our office my office afterwards and I was able to open the bible and lead her to Jesus Christ I'm going to tell you something there's never a time we go to their family functions from time to time and and you know they're introducing me to people in their family who need Christ their their mindset is the right mindset they are workers they are laborers in the harvest and I'm telling you If the church, if we could have 10 more families like that, we would not have room to contain the people that would be in this place. But somewhere along the line, the church adopted this this idea that, oh, it's for the pastors to do the work of evangelism. It, uh, we 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 pay our tithes so that you, pastor, can go and you can do all the work. Absolutely not. You know what my role is primarily? is to walk with God, to, to preach the word and, and pray. But the Bible says that I am to equip you, you, for the work of the ministry. You are called to be a worker in the ministry. I want you to understand every one of you are what the Bible refers to believer priests. You are called to go into the world and the sphere of influence that God has given you and be laborers there to win people to Jesus Christ, to to serve him, to be faithful to him. To uh, There's people that I will never ever come in contact with that you see on a regular basis and I'm telling you, we've got to get back to working. I was reading an article that pastor sent me about the circuit riders those, those preachers of the 17 and 1800s and most of them would die before they were 40 because they were so worn out on the road. They would travel everywhere by horseback. They would eat just some beef jerky that they keep on in their sack. And, and I'm telling you, these men uh, cut from the old cloth of John the Baptist. They were hard men, but they loved the Lord. And they would go from city to city horseback preaching in these tent revivals. And many, many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were converted. And like I said, most of them didn't live to see 40 or 50. And I'm telling you, this is the case. Uh, I'm telling you, whoever will seek to save his life will lose it. But those who will lose their life for Jesus' sake and the gospel, they will gain it. I'd rather go to, uh, go to the grave tired at 50 than live a life of none effect in the kingdom until I'm 90. I'd rather die with some battle scars than to go to my grave with all my faculties. I'm telling you, some of you gotta wake up and work because the the night is coming where no man could work. Your day is coming. Jesus had the same 24 hours in the day that you and I have, but he made the most of it. We must redeem the time because the days are evil. Jesus said this, night is coming when no one can work. There will be a time where we can no longer win them. Amy Carmichael said it this way, we will have all of eternity to celebrate our victories but only a few short hours to win them. Any of you feel that way? Like it's just life is going by so fast? I feel that way. And you only have a few hours. Life is but a vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. And we're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. You understand that? Because you're here today and you're hearing this sermon, you're going to be accountable for the truth of God's word in the sermon. And this foolish preacher who's up here telling you, "Hey, you better get to work." This foolish pastor who's up here trying to trying to warn those who are idle, those who are who are busy about the things that won't matter for eternity. God is going to hold us accountable for the truth that we have received. And too much is given, much is required. Where are the men like John Husk who when he came to know Christ and he was under the persecution of the Church of the Catholic Church of England England, I believe, at the time and he refused to renounce uh, that, that people are saved by faith through grace and it had nothing to do with the church. It had nothing to do with being baptized as an infant. Uh, he, he stood and of course he was sentenced to be burned at the stake as a heretic and while uh, they were burning him at the stake he said these words, what I have preached with my lips I now seal with my blood. I, I, what I lived out I, I, I'm now sealing with my blood and I'm telling you, I'm telling you we've got to get back to Christianity that cost us something, that, that causes us to sacrifice, that causes us to go outside of our comfort zone so that others can come into the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, when you go to the grave, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want you to go to the grave and you stand before Jesus and you have no rewards, you have no crowns to lay at His feet, you have nothing to show of eternal matters. And this is why I'm going to preach my heart out as long as God gives me breath in these lungs and tell you we must work the works until we can, because the night coming. The night is coming. Jesus embraced this mission. He understood that he was fighting the battle of light versus darkness, and he says it, as long as I am in the world, verse number 5, I am the light of the world. We know in chapter 8 he had shared that he is the light of the world. You guys if you don't realize over the last few years that we are in a battle right now for, against the kingdom of darkness. I saw a video this week that just disturbed me to the core. There's, there's now experts coming out saying that minor attractive people, they're called MAPs, should not be penalized. Because they were, they're born that way. You, did you hear me? The perversion of this nation is is going to an all-time high. I'm hearing of, almost on a weekly basis, children being abducted here in the Valley. You, You can't even really let your kids outside play like you used to be able to, without fear. And we see corruption all around us. You know, they're raiding Trump's, you know, his place. And while those who were at Jeffrey Epstein's Island on a regular basis are just running free. When are they going to release those documents? <laughs> but we see it. It is no longer in the shadows. It is now front and center. The, 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 the devil doesn't have to hide anymore. We have Christian leaders in woke churches. We have churches. I remember last year we were in San Diego on, on vacation and We rent this little Airbnb house across the way. It was a church and, you know, just right as day, they have the the, the rainbow flag in front of the church. We have Christians picketing alongside of those who want the slaughter of children in the womb. And we live in a day like never before we are seeing the kingdom of darkness make it. I think it's trying to gain as much territory as it can. And some say, well, Pastor, you know, the Bible does say that in the end times, things, men will wax worse and worse. Yes. But I also believe that if we, the church, rise up, that the gates of hell won't prevail against us. I believe that revival could turn this thing around. I really do believe that. I believe that we could see what we read about in the 1700s and 1800s and other other times in the world where God rend the heavens, right? And he came down and a nation was radically transformed. Any of you guys from the South? You remember that on every corner in the South or oh, the Bible is what they call it, there were churches. That was the result of the first great awakening. Where America had gone down the toilet. It, depravity, brothels, bars were on every corner people were were heading down the path of destruction like now but then God raised up men like Jonathan Edwards and other men on fire and women of prayer and I'm telling you the nation was turned back for space but now I think Christians are just like hey it's just going to happen we're just, we just there's nothing we can do about it people won't change We don't believe that there's a God in heaven. We don't believe that God can turn this thing around, but I believe he can turn this thing around. We've got to do the work. And our work, you know what it is? The church, we just need to repent, humble ourselves. Like we, we talk about all the time, seek his face, turn from our own wicked ways. Then we can, I think, I know that promises to, to Israel, but I think the principles <laughs> apply. Then God will hear us and heal our land. And this is what we should be praying for. Now Jesus, He gives the answer. It was not this man nor His folks as the result of His blindness, but God would be glorified through the works that Jesus would do. And uh, he he declares that he would do what God had sent him to do. I want you to understand Jesus always referred back to the fact that he was sent to do the work that he was called to do. He was a missionary, and he would fulfill his mission. But I want to see lastly this morning the miraculous healing, the miraculous healing that would take place. And there's some principles here I think we got to uh, you know look closer into. I want you to see verse number six. The Bible says, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I want you to notice with me, first of all, Jesus' method in this miracle was that he made clay with his saliva and dirt. And uh, most people would not appreciate having. Clay made of spittle, rubbed in their eyes, right? Anybody like me, you, you, you just, your skin crawls, you know, when someone spits around you. Or <laughs> I remember as a kid, I used to sit in the back of my dad, you know, while he was around for a short period, uh, in the car. And he constantly, you know, if I had my window rolled down, he'd constantly spit out the window and I'd get the little spittle on me. And I'd hate that. I'm, I'm finicky, like I'm kind of weird because I watch, like, on TV, like, you know, have you guys ever seen that show Dr. Pimple Popper? (laughs) I like watching those kind of (laughs) shows. From afar, right? (laughs) But, you know, if I'm walking down the street with my kids and I see, like, just dog poo and all this stuff, my skin literally crawls. And my kids have been begging me for a dog and I've been... I've been holding off as long as I can because I can only, I can see it one morning just walking out and just stepping in, you know, a big fresh pile and it would kill my, my, my spirituality. (laughs) I'm just being real. Some of you guys are dog lovers in here. That's not me. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I understand how, you know, how most people would have not cared for this, but Jesus is not an ordinary man. Some would look at what he, what he did here, Jesus' method of the miracle, and they would object to it, saying that it was offensive, it was inadequate, or even harmful to rub mud made with spit in a man's eyes. But I want you to understand, there's some, there's some parallels here within the gospel here. A lot of people in the world who reject God, they find the gospel as offensive. Don't call me a sinner. Don't say I need some man who died 2,000 years ago to save me from myself. I'm a good person. How many of you guys heard that? <laughs> I, I, man, I, I give to those commercials that come on with those dogs and the sad music. and I volunteer at the homeless shelter once a year during Thanksgiving, I, you know, you know what it is. And we've all run into people like that who think that they're good. And the truth is we're all broken. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And the gospel is offensive. It offends men's pride. The religious crowd is offended by the gospel because they think, oh, I can work. I can, I can do this. I can... I can please God with, when my good works outweigh my bad and, and they 're depending on their baptism or their their confirmation or whatever it might be to save them something that they do um, and it defies human wisdom. The Bible says that the the, the foolishness of the gospel is, is to those that believe salvation, but for those who do not believe uh, you know it 's a reproach to them they, they hate what i 'm saying here this morning, but I want you to understand. That even though the method may not have been everyone's cup of tea, the method is coming from the way, the truth, and the life. And whether we agree with it or not, the truth is the truth. And the gospel is still the gospel. And the gospel is this, that we are sinners, uh, separated from a holy God, apart from Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, uh, if you come to Jesus Christ in faith, you receive what he has already finished on the cross. When he shed his royal red blood for our sin, uh, and if you believe on Him, the Bible says that you will be saved, you will be, uh, your, your sin debt will be removed, and He'll give you eternal life. And I'm telling you, that may be offensive to some, but I'm telling you, to us who believe, we never get tired of hearing that message, do we? I don't. So Jesus, He makes the clay, He puts it on this man's eyes. I think it was a measure to a tangible way to help this man's faith. You see, this man had never laid eyes upon Jesus. He probably didn't know a, a, a ton about Jesus. He, We don't hear of him being at the feasts or the temple or in the in crowd. You know, the, rab, the rabbis of that day would not talk to this man. So I think Jesus did so to help his faith. But remember, Jesus, he has a method behind everything that he does. I think he also did so to to stick it to the, the Pharisees. <laughs> he, he made the clay. He did something. He did what they would call a work on the Sabbath day. And um, he, I love Jesus, you know, for many, many reasons. And I think uh, one of the reasons is he was the ultimate. He, he, he was ultimate as far as... Um, Uh, of sticking it to the establishment. You know, you want to be a rebel kid, teenager, you want to be against the grain, you want to be uh, someone who is different like the kids say today, follow Jesus, you'll be different. I want to raise different kids who have enough uh, faith in God, who have enough fortitude to not walk the ways of the world, to not try to align themselves with the world, to not try to fit in with the world oh I wish I knew what I knew now when I was in high school oh I mean, how many times did I, I succumb to the peer pressure uh, that led me down a path that oh nothing but regrets and, 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 and sinfulness and I'm telling you uh Teenagers, if you could hear me out right now, I'm telling you, the world, uh, all that you see in the world, it's passing away. And behind all of that, the culture, uh, the hip hop culture, uh, the social media culture, you wanna know what's behind that is nothing but Lucifer. And he hates you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to get you entrapped in sin and never let you out of it. But follow Jesus. You'll be different. So Jesus makes this play. He puts it on this man's eyes. And then he gives him a clear mandate. I want you to see it. He says in verse number 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin." Now Jesus is the sent one right he 's the messiah, and um, he 's telling he 's sending this man he 's giving him instructions to go to this pool. This would have been the same pool that during the Feast of the Tabernacles they would have gotten the water from uh, the uh, to put into the pictures and, and and to pour out the the water offering and uh, this man it wouldn 't be too far from where he is right now so it's not it 's not that God sent him on this 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 arduous journey but what jesus was saying to him is that if you want to receive healing from me you must first obey me i want you to hear that again healing comes after obedience and this is true when it comes to the gospel until someone places their faith in christ they will not receive salvation until someone uh you know a lot of Christians are looking for joy in all the wrong places. But I'm telling you this, if you want to find joy, start obeying God's word. Start yielding to God's spirit. Start uh, doing the things that God has called us to do. Being a Christian. Uh, and God will give you the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, I'm telling you, this is what a lot of you in this room are missing. And, we, you know, we talk about it all the time. And I'm going to keep talking about it because God has changed my life when he opened my eyes to this truth. That when I realized that I was lacking the Holy Spirit, I had a lady pray for me today for a double portion of God's Spirit. And I, I received that because I realized I need, I need more of the Spirit of God. Do you realize you need more of the Spirit of God? Are you hungering and thirsting for more of his righteousness? Do you want to be conformed more into the image of Christ? Let me encourage you. Press in. Obey. So this man is told to go to the Pool of Siloam and to wash in it. And I want you to know, this man, he does that. The Bible says, so he went and he washed and he came back seeing the miracle takes place. The blind man receives his sight. As I mentioned before, this is the first time in, in biblical record up until this point that a person born blind received their sight. Jesus would be the one who does it. His miracles were, conden- were the credentials to prove he was indeed the Messiah. And you know what's missing today from our Christianity, too, in America? The miraculous work of God, The miracles. People can argue our doctrine, but they can't argue miracles, signs and wonders. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus said we would do greater works, that we would not do better things, but we would do a, a wider variety of things, a a a, a more uh, you know all of us as the church filled with the Spirit. You better believe if we were truly filled with the Spirit, we would we could be able to touch people and see healing. Not all the time. I'm not not preaching now, okay? But some of the time. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't share this with anyone, but I hope you guys don't all think that we're ever tooting our own horn. We're not. But I'm telling you, I believe God. I believe his word. I had a friend who's laid up at at Palmdale Regional Hospital. Used to work with her over at uh, Bank of America when I was in seminary. And she would make fun of me, and I would make fun of her. Um, She's like my big sister, and but anyways, she's in the hospital, been in the hospital. They found blood clots. Um, her foot, the doctor said that they were gonna have to amputate it. And um of course she's she's wrecked. It's it's you know, her foot. So a friend of mine and I, we we went over there, and uh he's a he's a strong believer, my brother Joffrey. And uh we we both just determined we're gonna pray for her. We're gonna pray against this. The doctor couldn't find the pulse. It was turning colors. I'm, I'm not kidding you. So we went in and we, and we sat with her for a while, and we prayed. I laid hands on her. I believe on this. Lay hands on the sick. And I prayed for her. The doctors had scheduled the amputation, and she, they were going to the doctor didn't see uh, a, a big difference in her condition. But when they were going down for the surgery, the surgeon said, "I want to check one more time for a pulse, for for a blood flow." Or for... And um, he checked, and there was a faint sign of blood flow where there was not before. And he said, I, "I don't. I'm not cutting this off. I don't cut off things where where the blood's flowing through." And he encouraged her to get into shape and to start taking care of her health and. But he said, it's going to be a long road, but it's very possible that you can regain all function in this foot. And I just, I, tr- I gave glory to God because that's him. He still does miracles. I truly believe. He does miracles. And I want to encourage this church. We better start praying for miracles. People can deny what we preach. They can dispute and debate and these people would do that here in this chapter. They would say, Oh, is it he? Is it not? is it and he would say, I am he. I'm the one who was lying from birth and now I see. And they can't deny the miracle. And I'm telling you, I'm asking for God. When that little, little old lady prayed for me today and she asked for another person, I was just reading with my son Elijah. I was teaching him about who he was named after in the Bible and uh, you know his, the story of Elisha and how uh, Elisha stayed with Elijah until uh, God took him home in that whirlwind of uh, fire and I'm telling you uh, he asked for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah and I'm telling you when, when Elijah went up and that mantle fell Elisha picked it up and he hit that water and he says where is the Lord God of Elijah and the water was split and you know if you read the Bible Elisha did twice as many of the miracles as Elijah and I don't know about you but I'm praying for a double portion I want God to fill me with his spirit so that, uh, so that I can do the work that he's called me to I want to see miracles I want to see signs and wonders I want to, he- I want to be able to, to, to cast out devils I, I, listen to me I was reading about these old tent revivals you know what happened These, these men filled with the Spirit would get up and preach and there'd be people in the crowd and they, they would have what's called the jerks. They'd be jerking. When the preacher started preaching, you know what was happening? The devils in these people were being affected by the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, we need that. There are people who walk in these churches under the spirit of depression and demonic influences, and they walk out the same because our churches are powerless. Our Christians are afraid of the demonic. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. But I see in my Bible that the Christians of the New Testament, they went out and they cast out devils. Oh, I think about Paul when he saw that little girl who was demon-possessed. And the Bible says that she followed him around and, and cried out, these are the servant of the most high God. These are... And Paul, the Bible says, he, she got on his nerves finally one day. I like that Paul's saying, he's a real man. He's human. And he turned and he said to that demon, come out of her. And it came out of her. And she could no longer do the, the, the wonders that her masters used her to do, to, to read fortunes and all these other things. And they were mad. They were big mad. Where is the church like that today? It's not just supposed to be the pastors who are seeking God for a double portion. It should be every one of us. Because you know people in your family who are tormented, trapped in lifestyles and, and demonic influences you know and I know. We can't argue the miracles. Let's not let's not rush out of here and not soak in what Jesus obviously in this time was trying to communicate to his followers. And let us be a people where we are focused On the mission where we are seeking to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill.